Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Sometimes I'm accused of preaching in a way that skips over the verse-by-verse exegesis and also leaves out the, okay, that was nice, but what am I supposed to do with that part of the sermon? I make no apologies for this because I think preaching ought to be about God. And it actually takes real work to make sermons that are about God and not ourselves. And while I do think that me as the preacher ought to do my homework with the text, if the only thing that I do is stand up and kind of just show you my homework notes and say, okay, that's it, then I am dealing information and not proclamation. And when it comes to demonstration, what you are supposed to do with a sermon to make it practical I confess that most days I find that kind of preaching just a little cheap, just a little too small in focus, a little too willing to domesticate the eternal God down to bite-sized little principles so that you can go about living your best life. Frankly, it's just a little too human-focused. Let's stop talking about God now, preacher. You've had three minutes. Can we get back to me, please? And help me figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. Brennan Manning once said, you are only going to be as big as your own concept of God. We make God in our image and God winds up being as fussy, rude, narrow-minded, judgmental, legalistic, unloving, and unforgiving as we are. I've been in churches around the world, and honestly, so says Manning, the God of so many Christians that I meet is just too small. 
Their God is not the God of the word, not the God revealed in and by Jesus Christ. Their God looks a whole lot like them. So yeah, I confess, I am more interested in proclamation about God rather than simply doling out information to you. And I am more interested in God's transformation of the whole world in Jesus Christ, rather than simply trying to spend time each week coming up with a holy to-do list so that you can feel like you are demonstrating your faith. But every once in a while, texts like these come along. And because we are an Episcopal church and I just don't get to make up what I preach about, Preachers like me in the Episcopal Church are forced to preach texts that we don't pick. And every Monday, it's kind of like being a contestant on Chopped. You open up the schedule, and there it's revealed to you what you're going to have to deal with in public next Sunday. And so you say, Sarah, I think I'm taking Sunday off. Why don't you do it? And she says, no, I think you can handle it. And so today we have texts like Romans and Matthew that challenge my notion that preaching can't get serious about what we ought to do. In this community, we have more important work than trying to help you be spiritual. In this community, we have more important work than trying to peddle simply a post-evangelical faith. In this community, we are trying to be a church for people without a church so that together we can figure out what it would actually be like if Jesus Christ was at the center of our life, not on the peripheral. So if you want me to be straightforward, here's straightforward. Make these five practices the rule of your life and you will discover Jesus at the heart of them. Here's number one, gather with other people. Do not retreat into isolation. Sometimes I fear that when you hear me say we want to inspire you to lead a Jesus-centered life, that you hear it individually. And while it is individual, it is never at the expense of the community. God's church is to put Jesus Christ at the very center. Now, we might prefer a spirituality that stays vague and inward and never really demands anything of us and has nice vibes. And part of the allure of that is that you really don't have to put up with other people when you do that. You just retreat. God's desire is to gather us all together in Christ. I mean, just think about all the people that God has put in your life right now. New roommates, old friends, annoying co-workers, inspiring teachers, cringy uncles, the people down the pew. All of these people really are beloved children of God that are being gathered together with you. But if we're going to be straightforward for a sermon, let's just be straightforward and tell the truth. Many times we don't want to be gathered with other people. And there's at least two reasons why we don't want to be gathered. Here's the first. We resist being gathered into Jesus because we think we can make it on our own instead. Or is that just me? If you have been hurt by enough people or if you've been hurt by the right people, I understand that it can seem safer to trust yourself instead of making yourself vulnerable and having to rely on other people. I do not judge you if you find it hard to be gathered with other people. Frankly, to be autobiographical for half a second, I'm there with you. And 
part of the, I get that part of the allure of chosen family is that you didn't get to choose the ones in whom you were first gathered. And so my prayer for you is that you will, in the words of Jonathan, Jonathan Larson, give in to love rather than always living in fear. But here's the second reason that we don't like to be gathered. We know enough about Jesus from the gospel to know that he will gather us with others that we would rather not be gathered with. Our bishop, my bishop, your bishop. The bishop who consecrated the oil that we will put on the forehead of Raoul in a moment says it like this. We love to search for God online and in private religion, in austerity, on retreats, and alone privatizing our spiritual pilgrimage. But all the while, God is present in the face of friends, family, and strangers. Worst of all, in our enemy's face. And this last is the truth that we cannot stand. And so our search continues. Meanwhile, God whispers to us, I am here. And whether you resist being gathered by Jesus because you're scared to trust others or because you don't like being associated with others, the reality is, if you want to lead a Jesus-centered life, you will be gathered with people unlike you. This is why when church folks start getting excited about the word inclusive, I always kind of think they haven't yet done the real work to just think through just how inclusive this God is. That's the first part of your new rule of life gather with other people. How do you like straightforward? (laughs) Here's number two. Listen for what God is saying to you. Read the Bible. If that sounds old school to you, there's a reason for that. It is. If you need help reading the Bible, I can help with that. There's lots of people in this room that can help with that. In fact, in October, we're leading a class called Taking the Bible Seriously But Not Literally. And it's not the same class that I've taught it before. I do renew it every time. And maybe you quit reading the Bible after a bad church experience. I've been reading a new book uh, by a new acquaintance of mine uh, named Jason Miller. And his book is called When the World Breaks. And he writes this. Just because something beautiful gets co-opted by something false, we don't abdicate the truth and just leave it in the hands of the people who are misusing it. No, we claim it back, we reassert it from the misuse. And so maybe it is time for you to do the work of renegotiating the place of the scriptures in your life. That's the second part of your new rule of life. Listen for what God says. Here's number three. Respond to whatever it is God says to you. Now take it from me and the countless other people that you'll read about in the Bible who have a history of resisting God rather than responding to God. You want to respond to God. You do not want to resist this God. And today is a wonderful way to see this. You know, every Sunday we say, every Sunday is a good Sunday for baptism. Well, guess what? Today, our friend Raul took us up on it. After the sermon, we will gather around that font as a community and we will celebrate the work of God in Raoul's life. He is responding to God's love. He is responding to God's grace. And he is showing us as a church what it means to come after Jesus and say no to ourselves, but instead take up the cross and follow Jesus Christ. 
if we want to save our lives, there will be a loss. But everyone who loses their life because of Jesus will find it. The truth is, we all give lots of things in exchange for our lives. It's really a sobering exercise. I've been sitting with that question all week since the Monday chopped. What will you give in exchange for your life? You know what the sad reality is? A whole lot, actually. Quite a bit. Rich Mullins once said, Never forget what Jesus did for you. Never take lightly what it cost him and never assume that if it cost him his very life, that it won't also cost you yours. Responding is what happens after you have known the love of God. Rich goes on to say, if you have ever known the love of God, you know that it is nothing but reckless and it is nothing but raging. Sometimes it hurts to be loved. And if it doesn't hurt, it might be because it's not love. It may just be infatuation. I think a lot of American people are infatuated with God, but we don't really love God, and we surely don't let God really love us. Being loved by God is one of the most painful things you can experience, and yet it is the only thing that brings us salvation and new life. It's like everything else in life that is really wonderful. There is a little bit of pain, a little bit of hurt. But that's the third part of your new rule of life. Respond to whatever God says to you. Don't resist. Here's number four. Make every table a feast and an extension of this altar. Make space for everyone. No gatekeeping. What do we do when we come to this table? We remember that we are forgiven, and then we turn and share God's peace with our neighbors. So, as the epistle today said, forgive your enemies. I like how Oscar Wilde puts it. You should always forgive your enemies. Nothing is going to annoy them as much as that. Bless people who harass you, the scriptures say. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy when those who are happy and cry with those who cry. Consider everyone your equal and do not think that you are better than anyone else. Instead, hang out with people that have no status and don't think that you're all that smart. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with more evil actions. Instead, show respect for what everyone else believes is good. And if possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. And do not try to get revenge for yourselves, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. That's what Romans says. I like what Rich Mullins once said, revenge is mine, thus saith the Lord, but I just want to be about the Lord's work. Well, Rich, me too. And that's not a Jesus-centered life as much as I want it. I have to figure out how to let God do God's work, transform every table into a table of hospitality, a feast of forgiveness, a banquet of mercy, and another opportunity for God to take the scarcity of bread and wine and make them be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So that's the fourth part of your new rule of life. Make every table a feast. Here's number five. Live as if you have been sent. Do not just show up aimlessly in rooms. We always say that we want to know God's plan for our life, or at least type A people like me do. Well, 
Can I let you in on a little secret? Until God rips the sky open and rolls the scroll down and says, hey, it's right here. You're going to have to figure out some other plan than waiting on God to dictate God's plan to you. Try this instead. Every room you walk into, you act as if God has sent you into that room to love the people in that room. Don't coerce them. Don't harass them. Love them. Serve them. Some rooms will be easier than others. That's the point. Bear witness in those rooms to God so that those for whom love is a stranger may find in you generous friends. That is the fifth and final part of your new rule of life. Live as if you have been sent to love other people. Gather, word, respond, table, send. If you pay attention to the booklet we give you, those are the five movements of every Eucharist that we do together. It's because it's an integrated life, friends. You don't just pop in for an hour of Christian consumerism at 10.30 on Sunday morning. We're trying to form an entire community under the shape of the life of Jesus Christ. That is as straightforward as I know how to be. The proclamation of a Jesus-centered life, the proclamation of a Jesus-centered church is more demanding than I think, and in love, it is more demanding than you're up for. But anything in life worth doing is like that. And the baptism liturgy helps us because it says, I will with God's help. That's how you live this life. That's your prayer. I will with God's help. Not on your own, not on my own, not even with the help of each other. I will with God's help. I actually believe that God is transforming the whole world in Jesus Christ. And if you want to see it, Come follow Jesus and see for yourself. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.